So we're in Matthew chapter 16, and we're in this series talking about uh, what we believe as individuals and as a church, and we're going through the scriptures defining what it is that we believe. We've defined what it is that we believe about the scriptures uh, and how precious and vital they are to us, about how they are the sole infallible rule for faith and practice to the, each church, to the church as a whole, to each individual church, and to each individual believer. We are not governed by what the Southern Baptist Convention says. Christians are not governed by what other denominations may say. We're governed by the inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word of the living God. And then we moved out from that. We began with the scriptures because this is the scripture that from where we define everything else. And then we began to talk about what we believe about God. Today, we were going, I was going to, so what do we, what do we begin to talk about? What do we believe about the Son of God? But before we do that, the Lord led me to this passage in Matthew chapter 16, and you'll see why as we begin to read it. So today, as opposed to saying, talking about what we believe about God the Son, what do they believe about God the Son? What do they believe about Jesus? So look with me, Matthew chapter 16, and I want to read to your hearing verses 13 through 20. Verses 13 through 20 of Matthew 16, these are the words of the living God. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples saying, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. And others, Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that Peter, that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not come against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Let us pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we... Come now to the reading and the hearing and the explanation of your precious holy word. God, we do pray that your blessing would be upon it as we have read it, as we have heard it. And now we pray that you would bless its exposition. Father, we pray that what goes forth would not be from me, but would be from you, that you would take this and make it applicable to every heart, to every life, to let it manifest in the hearts and the lives and in the walks of each one of us. For all these things we ask in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. So we look at this passage, we look at, at this text, we look at this conversation of the Lord Jesus and his disciples. And he asked them that question, what 
Who are they saying that I am? So we're going to think about that first. Point number one, what does the world say about Jesus? Off the top of our head, we, we know what the world says, that, 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 that if, if they don't outright deny him, they'll say that Jesus was a good man. He was a good teacher. He was a, a prophet. or He is just that particular religion's main figure. But what they won't say is that he is God. Now, I took these notes. I'm going to read some of you. I want to give them to you. Uh, just facts that I got from a, a study done by the Barna Group uh, who put out this study in 2015. So these statistics are a little dated, but they're, they're still um, relevant for now. They asked uh, uh, the vast majority of people, the va- Americans, excuse me, the vast majority of Americans do believe Jesus was a real person. So the vast majority of people believe that Jesus was an actual person, that he was actually a real historical figure. Nine out of ten people when asked believe that Jesus was a real person. But only 87% of my age group, millennials, believe that Jesus really existed. That's shocking. From my age group, millennials, and going down is when we begin to lose people. Only 87% of millennials believe that Jesus uh, really existed. And they didn't have any statistics for this Generation Z, but undoubtedly it has to be lower than that. We're losing the younger generation. We're losing the younger generation because of the public propaganda mills. We're losing the the next generation because of colleges and universities and the entertainment of the culture. We're losing the next generation because of this godless, God-hating society that is everywhere. 56% of adults believe that Jesus was God while 26% said that Jesus was only a religious spiritual leader. So they think, well, well that's, that's 56%. Well, these this is 2015 statistics. 56% of adults believe that Jesus was God, while 26% said that he was only a religious spiritual leader. He was just like Muhammad or, or Buddha. And 18% say that they're unsure whether or not Jesus was divine. And then back to my age group again, 48% of the millennials that were interviewed believed Jesus was God. 48%. That's less than half. Less than half. 35% of young adults say that, that say instead that Jesus was merely a religious figure or a spiritual leader. And 17% of the people that were asked were unsure. They didn't know what he was. But in the older generations, we see the belief in Jesus uh, as divine is still more common. 55% of of, uh, Generation X, that's the generation before me, they still believe that Jesus is uh, divine. 58% of the baby boomers, that's the the generation that came after World War II, nearly two-thirds, they're they're 58%. They believe that. And then older than that, 62%. So the older you see generations, the more they are still tied to the Scriptures. The younger, the less tied they are to the Scriptures. 
That's how our world believes. That's how the, 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 the vast majority of our nation, our nation is becoming more and more and more secular. Jesus is just a good idea to them. He taught some good things and they don't even know what he properly taught. But just one thing, don't judge. And they don't even know the proper context of that verse. But all they know, they know two things about Jesus. Jesus is love and don't judge. That's to the shame of the church. I listened to a message yesterday while I was working out. And this gentleman talked about how he was on a flight. He was on a plane. And he saw this gentleman walking toward him who had a ball cap on that said WW2. He was a World War WW2 veteran. And he came and he, and he said he started praying. He said, you know, let Lord, let him come sit down beside me. And sure enough, he sat down beside this preacher. And he begins to talk and, 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 and they get to know one another and they introduce one another and all this stuff. And then as the right before the flight is over with, the preacher asked him, said, What do you ask him to, about what do you think about life after death? What do you think about, what are your spiritual thoughts? And he says, well, I don't have any. Would you mind, and then the preacher said, would you mind if I shared from you what the Bible said? He said, sure, go ahead. And he began to briefly just take him through the scriptures and tell him what the Bible says about our fallen nature, what the Bible says about sin, what the Bible says about how this sin create, creates separation between us and God. How we're just doomed from the get-go because our first father ruined it for us right out of the gates talking about Adam. And then how we put our own personal stamp and thumbprint of approval on sin by the way we commit it. In our thoughts, in our speech, and in our actions, we are sinners against God. And those sins are enough to damn us to an eternity in hell. And he takes him through all of that. And shows him how through the scriptures we stand condemned before God. That our righteous deeds before a just and holy God are not good enough. It matters not if you served in the military. It matters not if you give every dime you've got to the poor. It matters not if every time you're able to, you're donating blood. It matters not before a just and holy God. And he tells him, well, the man says, well, what must I do? And the preacher said, I'm so glad you asked that. And he begins to explain to him the beauty and the preciousness of Christ and the cross of how God made one way of escape. There's one way of escape of God's holy and just wrath, and that's through receiving salvation in Jesus Christ. And he gets to the end of it all, and the gentleman was in his near 90 years old, near 90 years old. And he said, thank you for telling me that. I've never heard it that way. Man's 90, almost 90 years old. Lived all of his life in the, in the United States of America as an American citizen. And never heard the gospel explained that way. That is to the shame of the church. 
And we look and see how dark the culture's getting. Yes, we know evil men will wax worse and worse. Yes, we know there's a devil at work laboring to turn the culture against God. But the church has stopped being the church in the last 50 years. And we've decided that we want to cater the worship service and we want to cater the church to make it more appealing to the lost man. And there's another one, there's another example that, that an illustration that's not mine. It belongs to Paul Washer. And I'll try to give it if I if I can. He said, he said, imagine that there was a king who had this beautiful bride. And this king is going on a faraway journey. And he's going to be gone for a long time. And he leaves his beautiful bride in the hands of trusted men. And the trusted men, after a while, think that the bride has become old-fashioned. She's out of date. She's out of step in her plain Clothes. That's out of step. That's out of touch with what society is. So in order to attract sinful men back to the king, they begin to talk that bride up. They begin to put makeup on her face that she doesn't need. They begin to dress her and style her hair to appease to the culture. And what do you think is going to happen when that king returns? Who's told you, here are my instructions. Don't add to them and don't take away from them. What do you think is going to happen to those men when the king returns? He's going to judge them. He's going to judge them. Harshly. The the goal of the church is not to become like the world. The goal of the church is to go out and through those difficult conversations that we talked about in Sunday school, through having those difficult conversations that may mean that at the end of that conversation, that person may hate your guts for the rest of their life. Through having those difficult conversations... And with the gospel and going forward with that, that is how the church is used of God to win the culture to Him. Not the other way around. You never see Christ becoming like the harlots, becoming like the drunkards, becoming like the tax collectors. Yes, He went to them, but He went to them to tell them to come out. To come out of that. And that's why we have statistics like we do now. That's why we have people that want the package. They want, they, they want all the prepackaged stuff. They want the entertainment. No one, no one no, this day and time wants the truth from the Word of God. They want the package. They want the plan. They want the entertainment when it suits them. When it suits them, they'll come. They'll come when they can, on the high days, they'll come on Christmas, they'll come on Easter, they'll come on Mother's Day. On the high days when they can, when they think they're going to get a gift and when they think they're going to have the, be able to take a nice picture to put on social media. That's the culture of the United States. 
And they don't want to be confronted with the truths of Scripture. They don't want to be confronted with who Christ really is. Provider, protector, defender. Yes, right on. That's stuff we want to hear about. But the one that calls you to repent, the one who came into the cities and said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which Jesus said. And I want that. Because repent means I've got to die. I've got to come to Christ and die. I've got to leave what I want behind and I've got to give it up. I've got to think about what I wanted, what made me happy. I've got to think about it like God does now. I've got to leave it behind and I've got to come to Christ. Nobody wants to do that. People by and large don't want to do that. And that's why we see beliefs about Christ the way that they do. How do the other religions view Jesus? How do the other religions view Jesus? Judaism. Judaism believes that Jesus was the son of Mary. They have other books other than the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Other than they, they have other books like the Talmud, and they teach that Jesus was Mary's son. They teach that Jesus was a teacher that he had many disciples, that he was respected, that he even performed miracles, that he claimed to be Messiah, that he was crucified on a Roman cross. They acknowledged that his, listen to this, his followers believe that he rose from the dead. But Jews themselves don't. Close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. You ever heard that saying? It doesn't matter how close you get to that narrow gate. If you don't come all the way through, you're not in the kingdom. If you don't come all the way through the door that is Jesus Christ, you're not in the kingdom. Islam, even the Muslims, even the Muslims believe that in Jesus. They believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. They believe that Jesus is to be revered and respected. That's why when you hear a Muslim speak of Jesus Christ, they'll say, Jesus Christ, peace be upon him. They do revere him as a prophet. They revere him as a prophet, as a wise teacher, as one who worked miracles and even ascended to heaven. And they'll, they acknowledge that, his, 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 uh, that he's going to uh, one day return, but he's returning as a Muslim. They don't believe that he was the divine son of God. And the Hindus, Hindus believe that Jesus was a holy man, that he was a wise teacher, that he was a God. Not the God, but a God. Hinduism believes that there are myriads of gods. Same with Buddhism. Buddhism is, is, is similar to Hinduism. They believe that Jesus was an enlightened man and a wise teacher. And then there's New Age. And I'm going to hunker down on New Age for a minute and give you more details about it than any of the others because New Age has crept into the church. New, a lot of New Age beliefs have crept into the church. New Age is kind of a combination of Hinduism and Buddhism. New Age thinking is, it, it has its roots in Eastern mysticism and the belief is to bypass the mind. To bypass the mind, to get outside of the mind. That's why you hear people in New Age talk about things like astral projection. You hear them talk about the, 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 a new way of seeing, a new way of perception in their third eye, which gives spiritual light. 
They believe that the mind can create reality. And that that type of thinking has blended, has blended into the church. New Age is monism. The belief that all is one, that we're just all connected is one. We're connected to the, to, to every human being. We're connected to, uh, the, the animals, to the plants, to the trees. We're all connected in one essence. They don't believe that history is the story of humanity's fall into sin and is restoration by God's saving grace, but rather they believe that it's humanity's fall into ignorance with a gradual ascent into enlightenment. And they believe that there is a, a, a change in consciousness with this enlightenment, with this growing, with this expanding your mind. That was real, real big in the hippie movement of the 60s, talking about they wanted to expand their mind with the use of uh, illegal drugs. They, they, they believe that we must come to cos- we must become cosmically conscious or enlightened or attuned to cosmic consciousness. And some who, who reach this, this enlightened status will claim to be born again, a counterfeit biblical conversion. New Age teaches this, this thing called ascended masters, that these are interdimensional beings who have ascended to the highest point of enlightenment or nirvana and can now be contacted by us for spiritual guidance by opening that third eye. To New Agers, Jesus is one of those ascended masters. And the New Agers believe that there is a coming new world order and a new world government. New Age thinkers that there will be eventually a progressive unification of world consciousness. According to the Bible, that's, it's a counterfeit kingdom led by Satan that will be the, that one world government and all that we read about in Revelation. What are some of the beliefs that have crept into the church? You just find it if you turn it on TBN and you hear those prosperity folks. A lot of them believe in this thing called little gods, that each one of us are little gods, that we can, that, that we have the, the same power as, as the God. Well, Deuteronomy 6 4 speaks against that. They're, uh, Hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Everything that we've just read in the last couple of weeks in Isaiah, there is one eternal God, and we ain't Him. And we are not Him. New Agers also believe that, and, and, and this is very popular, this is very popular with the world, believe that all roads lead to heaven or whatever, the, what, what, whatever popular afterlife you believe in. Oprah Winfrey, she's a New Ager. She would say this all the time on her show that Jesus isn't the only way to God. Jesus isn't the only way to heaven. And that is the practice of New Age that just, there are many roads to the positive afterlife. And then there's the law of attraction. This one's really creeped in. and you'll, as, we, as I explain it, you'll begin to see what I'm talking about. This, it's definitely the most popular belief that we, if we think positively and have faith, then we'll get what we desire from God. The law of attraction is based off of the idea that like attracts like. 
right? The, 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 if you imagine it, visualize, imagine what you want from God, visualize what you want from God, and He will make it true for you. You know, the, the whole word of faith stuff, the whole name it, claim it, commanding God to, to do this, or, or, or they say, may say giving God permission to do this. Your best life now, decree and declare. There's only one who can decree and declare anything, and that's God Almighty. Sowing seed for prosperity. I got caught up in that when I first got saved. Man, when, I, when, when the Lord first saved me, I thought everything that had Jesus on it was real, was genuine. Man, if it, if, 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 if it says Christianity, I'm there. Let's, let's go. Turn it, on, or if, or turn it on. Turn it on the television or whatever. And I got into that. And I got into the, the you know, yeah, 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 yeah you, you got to sow into the, uh, to, to the ministry, right? You want to knock your bills out? Send a man some money. Okay, so try it. Never did get that some 30, some 60, some 100-fold return that I was promised. Because it's not, it's, it, it, God is not this, 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 this cosmic uh, slot machine that you put in a quarter and then you're going to get out a quarter of a million dollars. It doesn't happen that way. And we see in the scriptures principles and the good stewardship and all of this. And, and this, it's, it's not a sin to be wealthy. The, the, the sin there is if that wealth is your God. But God has not promised us that He's going to just open the windows of heaven and just pour out the blessings on us just because we say, give it here. Not going to happen. God does not work that way. But the new age has crept into the church, talks about this sowing seed of prosperity. And, and then there's another one called manifesting. Manifesting a, 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 or law of a, a, attraction. Let me give you an example of that. You hear people say oftentimes, and there's, here's an example. You know, you really ought to go get that checked out because it could be, stop right there, stop right there. Don't you speak that over me. Don't you speak that over me. Um, I want somebody to take a Bible and show me how that's scriptural. Oh, but death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's right. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You and I have the capability with our words, with the words that we say and the way that we say them, to tear somebody down or to build them up. We can tear them down. We can, we, we can just tear them down how we talk to them, right? And it'll work on them psychologically, right? We can tear them down. We can destroy them like that. Or we can encourage them with our words and build them up. Or we can give them the eternal life words of the gospel of Christ died for sinners according to the Scriptures, was buried and was raised the third day according to the Scriptures. But when you say, wait a minute, don't speak that over me. You've just acquiesced power to someone or to words that will never, ever have it. And you've taken it away from the one who sits in heaven who has all authority and all power. I've said this to you before. I can stand here right now and from now till next Sunday and say I'm a millionaire, I'm a millionaire, I'm a millionaire, I'm a millionaire, I'm a millionaire. Wells Fargo is going to say different. 
It don't work that way. And it certainly does not work in the fact that if I say the word cancer, it doesn't mean that it's going to manifest in my body. The only way it's going to manifest is if the sovereign God of heaven makes the decision to say, this is how I want you to glorify me. I want you to glorify me in suffering in this. And I will either bring you through it so that you can eventually help others, or I will use it for you to glorify me while you go through it, and then I'm going to bring you home. But this idea that speaking things over, speak life into something, there's no scriptural backing for it. You cannot find it. It is mysticism. It is superstition that has crept into the church. It should not be found in our heart and mind or our mouth. And if you are one who falls into that and does that, I say without apology, you need to repent. You need to repent and you need to condition your mind. You need to, you need to train your mind. You need to renew your mind to take every thought captive and bring it into the obedience of Christ. Speak. We don't have that power to speak things into existence. There's only one who can create things from nothing, and that's God Almighty. We don't have that power, and that's more mysticism and new age that has crept into the church. Let me listen, listen to what Paul writes in Colossians chapter, chapter 2, verse 8. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. The Apostle Paul says, See that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, and not according to Christ. See that no one draws you in by superstitious, by superstitiousness. I mean, when you say, don't speak that over me. It's the same thing as the people that spill salt and then want to throw it over the shoulder. Or if a black cat runs in front of the road while they're going down the road, they're putting X's on the windshield. And it's taking their eyes off of God who we should be trusting in, who has all authority, who has all power, and it's giving it to something that doesn't. And that's what's crept into the church. That, that's what has crept into the heart and into the life of many a Christian here in the United States. So that's what the world says. That's what the world says. What, what, what does the world say? Verse 14 says, well, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah or another one of the prophets. That is what the world says. He's just a good religious man who taught some good religious things, but he is not God. And the belief that he's not God says he has no authority over my life. That's what the world says. What does the Bible say? Well, I'm not going to delve into that too much. That'll be what we get into next week. And what does the Bible say about Christ? But we need to look no further than John 1.1, right? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. God was the Word in the beginning. God was the Word in the beginning. He was there. Christ was there in the beginning with God. 
Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, says, Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, in him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church. That's who Christ is. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the sinless Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. And again, we'll get into more detail about that next week. Thirdly, who do you say Christ is? Who do you say Jesus is? That's, what, that's the question that Peter, that, that Jesus puts to Peter. That's the question that we need to put to others that are outside of Christ. Pray now for God to give you the courage, to give you that courage to have those difficult conversations, those uncomfortable conversations. Pray for God to give you that, to be able to ask someone, hey, what do you think of Christ? In the hopes that it would push them, that it would drive them to come to know Him as Savior. Look at what Peter says. And Peter says, he, he said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The confession of Christ is so important. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 9, he says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and to believe in thine heart that God raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The confession leads to salvation. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when, when giving that gospel, through planting that seed, it could be the very seed that the Lord uses to remove their heart of stone, replace it, replace it with a heart of flesh. And from that new heart, they make that confession that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is their Savior. For with the heart a person believes, leading to righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, leading to salvation. Warren Wearsby writes, he said, we can never make a true spiritual decision about Jesus by taking a poll. That's why I've always put to you, check up on everything. Question everything in regards to Christ. Even the things that I say. Every one of us should be students of the Word. And what we believe about Christ should come from His Word. Nowhere else it should come from His Word and from godly teachers of His Word. And we should check behind them to make sure that what they're teaching is sound biblical truth. Who do you say Christ is? Who do you this morning say that Jesus Christ is? Undoubtedly, because we've grown up in this area, automatically from the hip, we're going to say, Son of God. What does that mean? Do you believe that, as I read in Colossians, that He does hold all things together by the word of His power? That He's in control of all things? 
Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That when he, that even when our lives seem to be out of control, when every time we turn around, it's always something. Just coming down the road this morning, we had a crack in the windshield. I turned the thermostat on. And I just said to Jesse, well, if it's not one thing, it's another. Right? Now, that's not a big thing. But how some people might perceive that, you know, that could just be, well, here we go again. Right? How do you, how you perceive Christ, what you know about Christ is going to affect how you think and view everything else. I'm going to close with this. And I've I've given this to you before. But I think back to the night that Jerry Robertson told us uh, at Willis Moore Baptist Church on a Wednesday night, and he told us that he had cancer. And he told us that he that the prognosis was not bad, but it, again, it wasn't good either. And I, was, and he, I can see him now. He had this, this, this huge 10-mile-wide smile on his face. And I, and I talked to him afterward, talked to him out in the parking lot. We probably talked 30, 45 minutes. And I said, Jerry, are you really okay? He said, Jerry, he said, I'm fine. I might get to see Jesus pretty soon. That's how we should view things from the lens that He bought and paid for us. And that if He bought and paid for us, He'll take us home to be with Him. When you know that, When you have that, and he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. He's not talking about Peter being the first pope. He's talking about that confession that Jesus is the Son of God. It's on that confession that Jesus builds his church. The confession that Jesus is the Son of God. The confession that Jesus is Lord. What makes a person saved is confessing that Jesus is Lord. Truly believing it. You believe in your heart. uh, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's that confession. How's that confession done? Through the miraculous work of God in the heart. And when that work is done, it manifests through what we say, through, how, through what we believe and what we think about Jesus. And then what we think about Jesus affects everything else. And no matter how bad the news may be, it's never the worst. Because we already received the best news there is. We've already received the greatest news ever. That Christ has saved us. That Christ died. Christ has risen. And guess what? He'll come again. And if He doesn't come again before we die. He's bringing us to Him. And that affects everything. That affects everything. So who do you say Christ is? I'm trusting that everybody in here is, is truly repentant and saved by the grace of God. But have you grown in that knowledge? Do you know Him as just the Savior who saved your soul, or do you also know Him as Lord?
the one who's in control of everything. They may be, I told you during prayer, prayer time that, they, that they're making, uh, their, their talks about how we may be headed toward another uh, 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 financial collapse like we did in 2007 and 2008. Christ is still in control. When the earthquakes happen in Turkey, Jesus is still on the throne. Not one pillar in heaven is moved by what goes on down here. And when you understand that, that's when you have victory. Let's pray. I'm most gracious, Heavenly Father. We thank you for your word and how I've tried to unworthily unfold it. God, we pray that we would think and know Christ the way that Peter did. That we would say about Jesus as Peter did. That you are Christ, the Son of the living God. But it would go more, it would go beyond just the basic milk of salvation. Thank you, Lord God, for the saving grace that is Jesus Christ. But Lord, for the precious truths that go beyond that, the meat that tells us that Jesus, this Holy Spirit, you, our Father, the triune God, are in control of all things and hold all things together and are working out your good eternal purpose. We thank you, we praise you, we love you. For it's in Jesus' name, amen.